Hi, everybody. How are you? Good day today. Sunday at the Masters. Mm, cannot wait. We will be quick this morning. Trust me. Trust me. All right. Keep your questions just yourself. Email them later. We'll talk with you. All right. Now, it's going to be a great day. I'm very, very honored to be with you. My name's Andy. I'm on staff here. In fact, we had a wonderful Easter last weekend. Tipped us just over 1,200 people. And despite all those large numbers, there was a lot of big decisions made. Lots of people gave their life to Christ. It was just a very exciting weekend. Thank you for inviting your friends and being a part of that. In fact, uh, it was just fun to get a lot of Facebook messages of people celebrating things that were going on. But I did get one Facebook message with a little bit of attitude to it. So I uh, would like to process that with my team here. So uh, let, me, let me read this to you. Church launched a series called Hard Candy Offering, bowls of various hard candies out, but no chocolate. No chocolate. I'm sorry, no I'm not, but you don't sacrifice Easter chocolate for your cutesy message theme. Start your series some other week and have chocolate this week. Andy Ransdell, check yourself. Don't worry, I talked to my wife. I said, honey, let's just talk about that, what you're feeling now. So uh, I know who wrote that, and uh, so I, I got you some chocolate. So here you go. If you, if, you, if you didn't get your chocolate, there's some for you there for now, all my chocolate friends. But we are excited about this series. We are really looking at some of the most challenging things that Jesus said that I love how Pastor Ben said last week, that if you simply take them at face value, just take them in real quickly, they can really cause some damage. They can be very disruptive to how we understand God. And that is certainly true for our message today. And so I want to preface this message by just saying, as we dive into this message today, I'm going to ask that you, you really just kind of step back from your experiences, your objections, your story, and just create space to allow God to speak to you today. Because He loves you. Uh, and like any good dad, sometimes he says some hard things out of love. He says some hard things to help us be safe, and so that's certainly going to be our message today. I want to begin with uh, just a, a, an interesting illustration. There's some um, archaeologists who have found in ancient Roman ruins have discovered a series of tablets that have these prayers written on them. These tablets are uh, of prayers that people had paid for, that someone would write for them, and then they would store them. And they were prayers to the gods or the goddesses asking that they curse someone in this person's life. These are actually, there's so many of them now, they call them the curse tablets. Now, I studied a little bit of Greek. Uh, I'm familiar with a little bit of Aramaic, and it was interesting to read some of these and, and, and see what people wrote on them. So here, here's actually one. I invoke you holy angels and holy names. Tie up, block, strike, overthrow, destroy Eucarius, the charioteer, and all his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. Let the starting gate not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not be broken up and dragged behind. This person has some real issues with Carius, but I thought what was really interesting was the last thing they wrote. Look at it, it's up here on the screen, I wrote it, I got it for you. May his golf shots never be straight or he ever be able to make a putt for par. Very angry person right there, very angry. No, it, it was in this kind of world. You hurt me and I hurt you back. I hurt you back. 
Well, it's into this culture that a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth spoke. And he said, I'm going to change the world. I want to offer a different way. I want to tell you how my dad's kingdom works. And in Matthew chapter 5, the starting of God's kingdom is taught. He, it's the very formation of the ideas and the principles known as the Beatitudes. And he says this, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And everybody around him listening said, absolutely, that's exactly how it works. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Call this the bless my enemy tablet. This is, in other words, Eucharius hurt me badly. God, help him to find genuine repentance and deliver me from my anger that I have towards him. Inspire me to act in love towards him and not revenge. You care to guess how many bless my enemy tablets they found? None. None. Because as counterintuitive and countercultural as forgiveness is, when we hear stories of someone who chose to forgive someone else in spite of their pain, their hurt, and their anger, we kind of stand in awe, don't we? We sort of lean forward when we hear those stories of someone that just overcame great hurt. We listen in intently as they describe how this idea of forgiveness enabled them to break free from this cycle of bitterness, of anger, of depression, of revenge. Now, I'd like to share with you a, a true story of a woman named Mary Johnson. This story was told on a, a morning news show quite a few years ago. But it's a very, very powerful story of how one woman chose to forgive her enemy. So turn your attention to the screen. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive 
her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Well, anger, hurt, and bitterness are these huge factors in our world. And the reality is that no one in this room gets a free pass from them. Nobody does. We all have our stories. Maybe you don't have as dramatic a story as Mary does. Perhaps you do. But the reality is that Mary's story tells us something that's very important for us to recognize, and that is that where we go with our hurt can either free us or it traps us. It's, it's not neutral. The power of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is never a neutral force. It's always acting upon us. We decide, though, what we do with that force. We decide. We either take it in, we try to manage it ourselves, we pass it on to our children, or we learn to release it. We learn to understand how to leverage it. We learn to meet God in the midst of it. If you're taking notes, I'm going I'm to offer just a couple ways that we get trapped. You might want to write these down, or at least you might want to find out, man, is he speaking about me? Does this sound kind of like my response to the anger that I feel, the hurt, the betrayal that I feel about them? First is, we get trapped when we underestimate the impact a lack of forgiveness is having on our life. We just, we simply get trapped when we say it's no big deal. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. And the people around you are going, no, you're not. You're really angry. You're not doing well. You're, you're medicating that. You've turned that inward, and it's destructive. You see, almost every week, I seem to come in contact with people who are allowing unforgiven anger and bitterness from their past to limit them today. Unknowingly, their unwillingness to forgive is impacting a key relationship it's stunting their spiritual growth. 
It's causing emotional and even physical harm to them. This was such a big deal to Jesus that he spoke often about forgiveness. And in fact, there there was a very common sort of rabbinic question out there among all the other rabbis was, if you were engaged in a spiritual act of devotion to God, to only realize that you had broken another command or another sort of spiritual obligation to God, would, what would you do? Would you cancel the one or stop the one to go back to do the other? And this was a very, very common question. And the idea decided for most rabbis at the time was, well, it depends. How important was the idea that you have forgotten to fulfill? If it is more important than the one you're in, then stop what you're doing and go back and meet that need, okay? That's important to understand because the the scripture we're about to read magnifies how Jesus understands relationships and in their relationship to him. So this is in Matthew again. This is just a very early on in the same teaching that we just looked at. And this is what he says. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that you, your brother or sister has something against you. So you're at odds with someone. You're sitting here in church, and you're thinking, I'm singing this song, and oh man, you know, and you think about somebody that you're working with, whatever. You leave that moment. You leave your gift there in front of the altar, and now do what? First go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and engage in your act of worship. Think about that. Jesus is saying it's more important that you get it right here before you come talking to me. I mean, we would think the opposite. We would think I would say, well, hey, hey, keep worshiping me. And he's like, no, 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 no. You want to know how you and I are doing? How are you doing with the people that I've put in your life? Even your enemies. And you got to start there. Here's here's another one. Forgiveness requires that I forget what they do. Just just forget it. That that just becomes a very big problem for why we struggle with forgiveness. Because forgiveness never really erases the painful memory. In fact, I don't believe that forgiveness calls us to do that. Ignore the pain and ignore the debt and just act like it didn't matter. However, forgiveness has the power of if we understand it, to empower us to not be driven by that hurt. Year after year, season after season of our life. Next, forgiveness means reconciliation. We get this confused. We just saw that Jesus said, hey, go and be reconciled. Now, I believe that one of the ultimate expressions of forgiveness is the restoration of relationship. It's why Jesus forgave us. It's it's the, it's the pinnacle of expressions. In fact, I think Christians can tend to kind of give forgiveness sort of a mental thing where you go, oh yeah, I forgave you, but I still hate them. I still want them to get cancer. I still wish they would die. And I'm very glad that they've lost their job and that their kids are, fa-. you know, there's this quiet, ugly thing that still happens in us that we're still very happy when our enemies or those that get hurt, have hurt us, get hurt. So we've got to really wrestle with what does it really mean then for me to truly forgive. And I don't think it's just an intellectual okay. I think there is this, can this relationship be restored? But it can't always be restored. 
And you've got to know that balance. See, forgiveness is me choosing, regardless of your actions. It's me saying, I am not going to take revenge. Even though I might have all the rights to, I refuse that. Reconciliation involves two people agreeing to take responsibility for the relationship. Two people saying, we mutually have contributed to the breakdown here. Now, there's a great verse in Romans that I think kind of helps us navigate this. Romans chapter 12, 18. If it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, see there, there, there's the relational thing. It's your responsibility. As far as it do everything you can to live at peace with all people. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't say it is possible. You know, we're not commanded to be in relationship with evil people. You're not commanded to be in relationship with someone who physically abuses you. You're not commanded to be in relationship with someone that will refuse to create an atmosphere of safety and your well-being. But it is something, though, that you keep in front of you and embrace that tension. And the natural thing we feel is to cut and isolate people out. So we've got, to re- we've got to wrestle with that a little bit. Here's the next one. And this is a big one. It's just that time heals all wounds. Just time. Just give it time. Now, time can be helpful. It can give some perspective. But the reality is there's kind of this warning, and I think it's this, that unresolved pain and time equals a hardening of the heart. Hardening of the heart. There's a, a verse in Ephesians. Do not sin. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now this, I know everybody in their wedding advice gets a, you know, don't go to bed angry. Listen, I go to bed angry with my wife. All right, just a moment of confession. I know, bad pastor, but I do. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in that moment where you're laying in bed with your wife or your spouse and you're angry and then you, you lean over and your toe touches there and you realize you're still angry, so you pull it back? Anybody, anybody like that? You got to get up in the morning, you're like, okay, how am I going to walk by the bed and me- not make eye contact? You know? Just a little true confession. I know you guys don't do that because you're super spiritual, but that's just me. <laughs> but here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. When a couple whose marriage relationship is broken down and one spouse decides to dive into all the kids' activities, you know, coach every sport, just become this, uh, just this all-on parent, and the other spouse decides to divide into their career, and they're not working on that issue. Time is not on their side. Time is hardening the heart. See, forgiveness is not the result of time. It's a choice. And I say, if you're a Christ follower... It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility. Now, Peter is sitting at one point later in kind of Jesus' ministry, and there's obviously something that has happened in Peter's life, and he wants to know, how do I reconcile this? How do I figure this out? And I, and I really enjoy Peter because I kind of identify sometimes with him. He was at the same teaching that he had heard at some period earlier 
But he's, something's happened in Peter's life, so he kind of raises a question. Jesus, I got a question. And uh, he says this, he says, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? To which I'm thinking, Peter, don't you remember when Jesus talked about like loving your enemies? I'm not sure I'd ask a guy who just said to love everybody how many times, but he does. And I think Peter's asking the question we all ask, how many times is enough? And then when do I get to write this guy out? Like how long, how much is enough? And Jesus sees this as a window, as an opportunity to help Peter. See, the reason why God loves you and speaks some tough words to you is because he loves you. Loves you. He's a good dad. And he wants you free. He wants you free. He wants you to walk in just a kind of emotional freedom. He wants that for Peter. So he says to Peter, no, 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 no. Not, and, and Peter kind of says, here, guys, I'm going to impress him. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. How? Seven times? To which then he turns around to Andrew. He's like, high five. I said seven. You know? Because if, if you know anything, that is a, an important number in sort of biblical numerology, if you will. Seven represents perfection or completeness. So, Jesus, so Peter really is offering this significant number. And Jesus says, and you're probably familiar with what he says, he says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he launches into a parable to illustrate his point. And he's getting at trying to help them and help us to understand how the kingdom works. How you move from this earthly kingdom that says, hey, take revenge Get people back, cut them out of your life, go on Facebook, talk about them, not to them, you know, to restore, reconcile, work towards relationship, embrace those that you don't care to embrace. And he speaks about this king. There is a king and there were two servants. One king, one servant owed this king a tremendous debt could not pay this debt back. It would go on for a legacy. And and the way that culture worked, you could imprison the person that indebted you. And if it was so large, you could imprison their children, their children's children. I mean, this could become a legacy of indentured servitude. That was the way it worked. And so this servant has such a debt that he knows he has just doomed, sentenced his families, 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 families. He will forever be that guy. Then there's another servant in the story who owes that servant a smaller debt. It's, a, it's, it's not as significant. And one day, this first servant, realizing all the loss, all the pain, all the torture that they, he's going to set in motion... He comes and he begs that king for mercy. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And this is what the king says. The servant master took pity on him. And then I want you to tell me these next three words. What did he do? He, everybody say that with me. He canceled the debt. He didn't say, oh, you know what? Just forget about it. It's no big deal. He said, here's the debt. You're forgiven. 
Well, how does this guy respond? I mean, he just won the lottery, if you will. I mean, he can obviously now walk at a level of freedom that he's never known possible. Obviously, that's going to inform and shape every way he sees his enemies. Because he just spoke to a king that could have invoked all kinds of torment and the king didn't. He's forgiven. He will obviously turn and gladly extend that offer to those that have hurt him. Here comes the second servant and he sees this and he says, uh, the king, so then he sees the second service and he goes, you owe me money, and he reaches out and he grabs a hold of that second service and he demands payment. You know what he does? He does what everybody else does. He does the human reaction. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And that transaction that he experienced with the king never took residence in his heart. It never shaped his behavior. You hurt me, I hurt you back. Well, somehow this experience with that second, those, between those servants gets back to the king. And this is what the king says. The king called in the man he had forgiven him and said, you're an evil servant. Ouch. I forgave you this tremendous debt because you somehow came and tried to plead with me. And I listened. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't somehow this informed how you worked and responded to those that have hurt you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. This is when the story gets incredibly difficult. This is when I look for a loophole. This is when I would tell Jesus, let me tell you my story, Jesus. Because you're not possibly asking me to forgive my dad. Jesus, Jesus, let me tell you what my ex did. Jesus, Jesus, let me tell you what my boss stole from me. And the story just gets hard, doesn't it? But Jesus says, the problem is way bigger than your enemies. The problem is, doing, is what you're doing with the hurt from your enemy. That's the, that's the problem. It's never neutral. And if you think you're managing it apart from me, it's managing you. It's managing you. And it can shape an entire family. It can shape a legacy that you never thought you would ever want shaped. Because he says, it goes on in verse 35. And this is when it gets really tough. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
See, if we continue to be people who seek God's forgiveness but hold grudges, if we continue to be people who seek God's mercy while we withhold grace, if we continue to be people of God who seek resolution for our sins while we hold on to other people's and we bring up their account of sin, you know, you never, you always, you did this last time, you just did this the other day. If we continue to be those people, Jesus says we are allowing joy, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, love, and freedom to drain from our lives. See, the only thing that will cost us more than forgiveness is unforgiveness. The only thing that's more costly is walking around and trying to manage unforgiveness. So Jesus' teaching to love those who opposed us is best understood when we consider it through the shadows of the cross and our wrongdoing, my wrongdoing, the sin and the moral debt that I have accrued to a holy God and the invitation that a king has extended to me and extended to you to be forgiven. There's a verse, you won't see it on the screens, I wrote this in. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins, purifying from all unrighteousness. In other words, when it comes to our relationship with God, forgiveness is instantaneous. You want forgiveness today from God? Confess your sins and he will instantaneously forgive you. And the reason why we struggle with that is because on our earthly understanding, that's not how it works here, does it? That's just such an unnatural thing. But isn't it interesting? It's what we all want. Like, I want unlimited amounts of grace extended to me. But I'm like Peter. I want to know how, many, how much i got to give you. How much is enough? Well, how much do you want, Andy? I want as much as you're willing to give. Well, how about your enemies? Seven. See, we all have a number, don't we? What's your number? See, but when it comes to God, it's instantaneous. But here's the tension. When it comes to forgiving the people in our life, it's a process, isn't it? It's a process. Anybody else have the courage to admit that you've got to forgive somebody kind of on a routine basis? There's old feelings that come up. There's an old anniversary that comes up. There's a, you know, whatever that has triggered that thought and that feeling. You're right back there, and it's like, ah, how do I get broken free of this? And that's where the process and the introduction and the relationship with God is so central to this. See, it's a process where feelings are expressed. Feelings are said, it's, hey, this is difficult, I'm right back here. It's reasonable accountability and expectations within the atmosphere of grace and mercy. You know what I've come to realize in, in my journey as a Christ follower is I'm really terrible when I'm responsible to take revenge. I just, I just... I'm just not a good judge. I'm pretty harsh. And I think what God understands is I'm better if I can extend mercy 
if my role is not necessarily always trying to find accountability for everyone and demand it of all people, but instead to try to figure out how does Andy Ransdale live at peace? See, Jesus' life and teaching on forgiveness is a better way of living. And I want you to choose it. I unapologetically ask you to forgive. Not because they deserve it. And if you tell me your story, I will exempt you. Because it's so painful, I want to be sensitive. But I know he's a good dad. And he wants you free. He wants you free. So, how might his teaching change you? Would you take out your Connect cards? We're going to put some action to today's message in just the couple minutes that we have left here today. I want to give you just a couple thoughts and really just create kind of some space for a little bit of prayer and maybe a response. So however you want to do that, if you want to close your eyes and then just keep your card by you and just lead you through a couple prayers and a couple next steps. The first one is this. Um, This is just between you and Jesus, you and God, a holy God. Perhaps today you're here because you're trying to figure out how to work that relationship into some sort of degree of peace. But if you're honest, and here's the power, you don't have to work that. You can just confess, hey, today, Jesus, I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy again. That's the first step. And that step A is just simply to say, I'm inviting Jesus to come in to lead my life. No longer be this character in a parable. He's to be my leader, the forgiver of my sins. Would you check that box if you'd like to do that? This is my prayer for you, and just make it your own. Jesus, today I confess my sins, and I want to be forgiven. Perhaps you uh, would like to follow that up, though, with a powerful moment of baptism. We had them on Easter. Next month, we'll have them there. That's a moment when forgiven people celebrate the new life. Would love for you to sign up for a baptism. We'll be doing them next month. Check that box if you'd like to do that. But then the next one is, this is a powerful prayer. And maybe this is all you can do right now. Please don't feel like you've got to be inclined to check anything other than this. But this week, I will pray these words. God, help me to understand how to forgive. You'll just be open to the idea that the process that your parents have taught you, the process that works at your culture, at your work environment, or however you think it works, isn't working. So today, God, I want a new process, and I'm just open to the possibility that there's a new way to do it. That, just check that prayer. You'll be praying that. But then the next is, I will give forgiveness. I know there's someone in my life and I need to give them, I need to say to them, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I'm going to be doing that this week, Andy. I'm going to be leaning towards that. Check that D if you'd like to do that. 
And then the next one is, and this is a big one, I will seek forgiveness. Many of us, you know what we're going to need to do before we turn on the masters, before we go to the restaurant? We're going to need to open up our phone, make a phone call, send a text, schedule a meeting. You're going to need to share with a friend, hey, this Tuesday I'm going to go back to my ex and I'm going to take accountability for the the uh, affair. I'm going to take accountability for the, to my children, my adult children. Would you be praying for me? I don't know how they'll respond, but I know something will shift in you. So if you're needing that today, check that box. I'm going to be seeking, giving forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we come into this room in so many different places. But I think all of us find ourselves in this story. We are um, either needing forgiveness, we're either uh, needing to forgive someone, and I pray right now that the power of God would just rest on each of us in such a such a way that it shapes how we do relationships. That we leave here today better people, committed to the strange and difficult ways of loving people as you've loved us. In Jesus' name.